0: You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France fan. Powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage two. Today, we're in Provence. We knew we had to be focused. We had to
1: be alert also on the... On the bell lap with one the to go because it was so narrow and the wind played a role but
2: uh
3: actually I didn't expect that we uh, we would uh, break away and stay away but um, yeah uh,
1: like yesterday the team did a perfect lead out for the Champs-Élysées and now uh, they brought me perfectly into this uh this bandla and to the sprint and yeah and then uh, Elisa was on with
4: and apparently it was the moment to uh, to go
1: uh, of course I wanted to try my best and to do uh, the things right but uh, I also knew there were some fast girls we, yeah, it was of course very hard in the final so everybody uh, probably had sore legs so I knew I just had to, to, to go and see
5: if it could be enough Well that was the voice of Mariana Voss, now the yellow jersey and the winner of stage 2 of the Tour de France fam uh, I'm here in a lovely little medieval town uh, with a new contributor to the show Anna-Marie Rook Hello, Anna-Marie. Hi. Uh, I've butchered your name because I know that you prefer to be called Rook so people don't butcher your name. Uh, How much butchering did I just do there? You did pretty well, actually. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, And Rook is the North American editor for Cycling Weekly and is here all week.
6: Are you enjoying your time so far? Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's a momentous occasion.
5: And down the line, joining us on our table that should be crowded with Aperol spritz, but is not yet, because no one wants to give us any attention uh, in this restaurant, uh, is Lizzie Banks.
7: Hello, Rose. Hello. Uh, Lovely to be joining you. Yeah, from afar. I'm very jealous. We've got some nice wine glasses on the table, but they do appear to be empty. But uh, hopefully (laughs) I can see some Aperol spritzes on the table behind you. So hopefully some will finally make it to you during the podcast.
5: They were our inspiration, the ladies uh, that are sitting behind us enjoying uh, their pizzas and their Aperol spritz. I mean, they look like
7: they're having a great time, so.
5: (laughs) I think they're having less good time now that we've rocked up with a massive uh, (laughs) microphone, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, But it was a crazy stage, wasn't it? Because we were expecting, or it had been predicted, that it would be a bunch sprint uh, today, and that's not
6: how it went, was it? Not at all. It was absolute chaos out there.
5: And so we're going to go to Lizzie. You've taken on the onus of doing the Tale of the Atap for the first time. Is this the first time ever? This is the first time ever,
7: and I feel a bit of pressure, you know, from, from Lionel and Orla's uh, wonderful tale of the attaps, but I'll give it a go, and here goes for stage two. Rolling out from Mo with the first yellow jersey on the shoulders of Lorena Vibers 136.4 kilometres of flat terrain paved the way to Provence for what was billed to be another sprint finish, and in the end, it was anything but... An early break of four riders formed, containing Queen of the Mountains, Femke Gerritzer, of Park Hotel Valkenburg, with Geritzer taking maximum points at the only climb of the day, the Category 4 Cote to Tigo. As the peloton smelt the threat of crosswinds, the break was quickly brought back at 80 kilometres to go, and despite some nervous moments for groups falling off the back of the bunch, the wind dropped and the pelotons returned to a steady pace. At 30 kilometers to go came the first of a string of crashes, marring the finale of an already nervous race, bringing down seven riders, including Soraya Paladin of Canyon Sram Racing and Aussie champion Nicole Frayne. Micah van der Doon, wearing the white jersey of best young rider, made a bold attack off the front just a few kilometers later, and the pursuit was slowed when a rider from AG Insurance slid out on a corner whilst trying to bridge over. Moments later, an innocuous crash in the peloton brought down a number of riders, including Amanda Spratt of Bike Exchange. Marta Cavalli looked to have just avoided it, slowing to a halt, when Nicole Frayne of Park Hotel Valkenberg, who was returning from the previous crash at a much higher speed than the peloton, didn't have time to react and flipped over the bike of Amanda Spratt, clipping Cavalli at a very high speed, flipping her over and knocking her straight onto her head. A bad day for FTJ Suez Futuroscope got even worse when team leader Cecilia Utrup Ludwig hit the deck in another mass pileup at 22 kilometres to go, which also found Kristen Faulkner in a tangle of bikes and bodies. The chaos in the peloton played out perfectly for LeCole Wahoos van der Duin, who took maximum points at the sprint on the first passage of the line, where the swirling trees were showing signs that more crosswinds might be on the menu. Vivas, Capecchi, and Voss mopped up the sprint points behind as world champion Elisa Balsamo launched an attack through the line, taking Elisa Longo Borghini, Nivia Doma, Mariana Voss, and the birthday girl, Sylvia Persico, with her, and catching up with Micah van der Duen to make a sextet at the head of the race. Once out of Provence and on the finishing loop, a peloton decimated from crashes was further depleted by the raging crosswinds. And with Jumbo-Visma and Canyon-Shram having multiple riders blocking the chase behind and SD Works having little interest in aiding the chase, DSM were left to do the lion's share of the work. Meanwhile, further behind, FDJ had three riders drop back to pace Cecilia utrup ludwig but were making little inroads on the peloton. It was set, then, that the escapees would contest the stage... Elisa Balsamo led out on the uphill drag to the line, but how could anyone bet against the greatest of all time? And it was Mariana Voss who took her 241st win to take the second stage of the Tour de France femme and the yellow jersey. Just 24 hours after her second place on the Champs Elysees, the tears of disappointment turned to tears of joy for Marianne Voss, arguably the greatest rider this sport has ever seen, male or female. Sylvia Persico was second and Kasia Niviodoma rounded out the podium. Voss also took the lead in the green jersey competition. Femke Gerritzer retained the mountains jersey and Micah van der Duen re- increased her lead in the young rider classification. Shortly after the finish, we had news of the first abandon. Marta Cavalli, who was visibly dazed after her shocking crash, was being taken to hospital for scans in what was an horrific day for FDJ Sewers Futuroscope. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022
0: Tour de France Femme, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com
5: for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Now, you have heard during the coverage of the Men's Tour de France uh, that they have their own podcast, the Super Sapiens Podcast, and that is hosted by Zylon Van Ayck and Dr. David Lippman. Now, uh, during the Tour de France, we managed to enjoy uh, some snippets from their conversations with Ashley Moore pasio uh, and I'm proud to say that they have uh, another episode with Rachel Nayland, who is a Cofidis rider and is here at the Tour de France fam at the moment? So let's hear a clip from that.
7: It's one of those results that you just you just can't really explain. Like it's everything just flows and everything just went right. We knew that, um, you know, my job was to perform in the back half and support Tiffany in the back half of the bike race. But then when she didn't come across with with Voss and Burgini when when they came across to the breakaway, it's clear that I had to deliver for Australia. So,
5: yeah,
7: and, and I did. So I'm extraordinarily proud of, of
5: that moment and that result. Find out more about Super Sapiens' system of continuous glucose monitoring, which can help tailor your fueling and training for success. Go to supersapiens.com. Now, I've just got to the finish here in Provan and the, the crowds are starting to to gather already Um, but I'm kind of uh, taken aback a bit because there seems to be uh, a much steeper ramp than I was expecting into this what should be just a pan flat bunch sprint I know in the road book it suggested that there would be uh, some sort of ramp but um, up from the Flamme Rouge at a kilometre to go uh, it starts rising and then between 300 and 200 metres to go uh, there's this hairpin that's you know a 180 hairpin um, and uh, with I'm not saying that it's a huge gradient. It's only about, you know, 4 5% in places. Um, but it's enough to make me question whether uh, a lead out train is really going to work here, whether maybe Lizzie Banks was right all along and that it would be a good one for Mariana Voss to win. Um, but it's kind of uh, narrow in places. It's a bit of a chicane into the finish. I actually can't see the finish line uh, from where I am uh, now at 150 metres to go. So I'm going to. Take a little walk up there and uh, see what I can find. So I've just walked up a little bit and now I've got a nice clear view of the finish line. I have to say, it's kind of surprised me because it continues to rise all the way up until about uh, 50 metres to go and then it's something of a a false flat, but basically it doesn't really flatten out until after the line. So uh, it could be, maybe not the bunch sprint and the Lorena Weebs adding to her tally as we uh, expected. There's also kind of a rough channel uh, of road which you're not going to want to be in when you're coming up to the line. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the riders cope with it when they come for their first passage across the line, uh, which comes with only about 20 kilometres to go to the finish, so we'll see how they get on. Here they come, coming in for their first time uh, across the line. And we have the solo rider. Got a decent lead actually. Going across now, here comes the rest of the peloton. At the front, Lottie Pepecchi singing second wheel. And uh, Mariana Voss, of course, they're taking the steepest part, the tightest torn- corner around that hairpin great to see Mariana up there already and we have a few, uh, there was a crash not that long ago, there's obviously a few riders who have come off the back of that, coming across through the helicopter right above me now and actually the peloton has split up, uh, could be from that crash, have mm, got Ellen Van Dyke off the back, uh, uh, many of the Uno X uh, riders also in that group must have been held up by the crash I should imagine. Uh, but yes, next time that we will see them will be the finish. So looking forward to seeing uh, the moves, the movers and shakers then. There are absolutely riders everywhere off the back here. It just Every time I think that that must be the everyone through, there's more riders coming across. Uh, I've seen the like of, of Amanda Spratt right off the back. You know, she's not not going for GC herself. She'll be riding uh, uh, in support of C- Kristen Faulkner, of course. But uh, the real shock and, and actually Lizzie Banks' pick for the overall win is Marta Cavalli. She's uh, just come across. She's not riding so well either. She seems to be riding... Uh, pretty slowly in fact, maybe she's uh, I- injured herself in that crash, but she's right off the back, last rider on the road, so um, flat stage, obviously it going to be very difficult to make that time back when uh, uh, everyone's going for the sprint, so we'll have to wait till the end of the race, next time that, they, that we see all the riders, um, to find out, you know, will she still be in contention, will she have made all of that time back. For her, Certain to have the yellow jersey tonight as well. And here comes the rest. Yellow jersey, bringing up the rest of the peloton. Loredana Webers easily winning the uh, sprint for the pack. Oh so, wow, phenomenal! What a phenomenal finish. And see Mariana Voss in yellow tonight. Fantastic. You can see Audrey Codagnager coming across now. Riders all across the road, though, split to pieces. Well, there's Elisa Balsamo, the world champion coming across only now. And, well, phenomenal. I mean, there's going to be a lot of winners and losers today. Who would have thought? A bunch sprint, they said. We're going to have to find out exactly what went on, who won, who lost uh, later on. Well, you heard there my experience of uh, being at stage two and just uh, witnessing all of the chaos, I'm not sure. I managed to uh, capture, I think, the chaos, but probably not much of what was actually Happening in the race. But I mean, it's a momentous occasion to have Marianne Voss in the yellow jersey. I imagine this is exactly what the Tour de France organizers were hoping for when they set out this route right from the beginning. It's kind of a, uh, she's the perfect uh, person, isn't she, to be in the yellow jersey here?
6: Absolutely. Just imagine a world in which she wouldn't win the yellow jersey. Just think about her museum of trophies at home and then having that big void of the yellow jersey. And uh, she told me that um, as a child, she came to tour France often and they were like chasing for signatures and whatnot. And she just never dreamt about a yellow jersey because it wasn't available to women. So the moment it became available, you know, she, she locked eyes on it and was like, I need that. And uh, she, she wouldn't have stopped cycling ever if, if there hadn't been a tour in her time. And what is amazing is that she was such a, a big part of the
5: activism that went into the Tour de France happening uh, at all, wasn't she?
6: Yeah, absolutely. She was one of four people that started the the, the petition. And, uh, and then she obviously went on and, and won the first uh, edition of La Course. And uh, for her to now be in yellow, it just completes the tale, doesn't it? It certainly does.
5: And uh, Lizzie, you've obviously ridden against Mariana Voss. Uh, what, I mean, what is that as, like as an experience?
7: Well, Mariana Voss is just, you know, she's just a champion. She's a champion off the bike and she's a champion on the bike. And in the peloton, she's so gracious. She, she's never kind of a bolshie rider. She, she gets to the front and she gets where she wants to be because she's smart, she's intelligent, she's a brilliant bike handler. And I, I think, you know, we all have so much respect for her. And I remember um, the, the first race that I won in the Giro and, and she came up to me the next day and she said, well done. And I just felt... I just felt so amazing being congratulated by, you know, a hero of mine, the greatest rider of all time. It was so special, but she's, you know, nothing is above her. That is, that is Marianne Voss. She is just so down to earth and so humble.
5: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's amazing for a champion, like you say, uh, Lizzie, to be kind of humbled by the occasion a little bit today. I mean, she, she did, she has 241 uh, wins, as you mentioned, and for her to actually uh, think that this one is uh, could class be classed as one of the most special even if she you know in hindsight changes her mind about that I mean that's uh that's quite a statement isn't it it is, but it's such it's such an important occasion,
7: and you know the eyes of the world are on this race like they have never been on any race before. Even even the first women's Paris Roubaix, which was absolutely huge, this is just another level, and I think it's so important having a champion like Mariana Vos winning the stage and taking the yellow yellow jersey because, you know that. That image will travel around the world and will be so identifiable with with young women and and girls all over the world, and they will want to go and be like her, and they will say, "Well, if, if she's done it, why can't I?" Well, because she's the greatest of all time. <laughs> <That might> be- <laughs> <laughs> okay, well maybe we can't maybe we can't get 241 wins, but you know why why not why not go there and why not want to to aspire to that? And it's just. It's just brilliant. I, 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 really, I really admire Mariana
5: Voss and I just think she's a such a great role, role model for the sport. She is. And Rook, you've known her a very long time. What is also phenomenal about her is the, her staying power, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. I mean, she entered the sport when she was six, you know, and now yeah. she's 35. That's a very long time to be bike racing. And you talk about 241 wins, and incredible as that is, what's even more incredible, is that that is just the road wins. You know, she's got an, an Olympic medal gold medal on the track you know she's got eight sacrograss world championship titles i mean this woman has raised more than you know probably half the beloton combined and she is still at it and she she never tires of it like every race she enters she still wants to win and that's absolutely unique
5: no,
7: uh, Absolutely. It was...
6: And she's the she's
7: the current reigning cyclocross world champion, let, let us not forget. And it's just, just phenomenal that she races so hard all winter and then comes back into the spring and dominates in the spring and dominates in the summer. And I'm sure we'll see her
5: dominate again in cyclocross over the winter. It's just phenomenal. Now, I know Lizzie, actually, she was your pick for uh, this stage. <laughs> and I have to say... Uh, I did think, oh, surely it's got to be Lorena Wiebes. But then when I got to the finish and saw actually... Tricky. It was pretty... Well, not st- I can't say steep, but it, it was a, a ramp and it r- rose all the way uh, to the line. Uh, but it was, in fact, uh, from a breakaway uh, that she uh, actually got the victory. And that was created by the white jersey, uh, Micah van der Daun. How, how's the pronunciation on that? Micah van der <laughs> <laughs> Micah... I should say it more with a smile. Micah van der Daun. Does that sound... Yeah, so the breakaway that was uh, created by uh, Micah van der Daan went uh, and then she was joined by, you know, uh, some of the GC uh, favourites. And uh, I spoke to her at the finish uh, and asked her what it was like to be among all of the... Basically, some of the best riders in the peloton. And this is what she had to say. Uh, Micah, tell us how special was it to be in the white jersey today and to get to wear it tomorrow as well. Yeah, of course it was really special to already
8: start in the jersey, and I was so happy from yesterday, and I went full in for today, but just see how it goes and just enjoy it to the max and um I felt quite good and I was full motivation and with the team, we decided that I had more an uh, attacking uh, role, a free role in in the final and not the sprint role and I went for it um and yeah, I was thinking like it will be so nice if I can take it over the climb because I knew that they gonna go full full effort, full gas after it. And I looked behind and I saw only the big names of the bunch and yeah, I was thinking like okay, if if it's the breakaway of the day, this is it. And yeah, it's 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 so amazing that yeah, we take it, took it to the to the end and my legs were completely done, but I gave everything to
5: the finish line. And how did it feel to be part of the move that, you know, well, you basically animated the race, you, you made the decisive move. How does that feel? Yeah, it's, it's,
8: it's crazy. <laughs> I didn't, be, yeah, like, believe it uh, yet. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's one of the first times that you can compete, I can compete, uh with this big name so and 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 in the front and fight for the win and and then in the first to the fronts for the famous it's for the girls it's yeah it's it's quite nice and what was it about where did you attack and why did you choose that particular moment well the whole day was quite nervous and and there was a big chance of echelon so yeah the bunch was really nervous and it was a little bit like a spring race um and then at the moment, yeah, not really. It re- didn't really happen, and yeah, the, the, sometimes the bunch was on was on one line, but it didn't break. I was I was on the front, and I was quite safe the whole time, and I felt good. And then um, just a few kilometers, I think around 5k before the before the local lab, uh, the bunch was rela- yeah quite relaxed, and there was a narrow road, and I was in a yeah really good position and. I talk with my teammates and I say, yeah, can I go for that tech or should I go? And she say like, yeah, if you want,
5: you can go. And I was like, OK, I can I go. And did you surprise yourself on how well you could compete with those big names? Because, you know, you've came to the finish line with the biggest names in the peloton.
8: Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's amazing and it's it's really nice that that yeah, we as a team, but yeah, also for me personally, I made a big step uh, this year. And I know in the sprint finals, I can, I can compete for the win. But um, it's one of the first times I, can, I am in, in a breakaway and ride for the win. And with these girls, yeah, it's, it's really nice, and especially in the Tour de France.
4: Chute, uh, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please.
5: For most of us, learning a second language in school wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Now, I remember that I did French at GCSE. And despite being very proud of getting an A star in that, as soon as I went to France, I was totally at sea, apparently saying that my guinea pig is passionate about swimming pools doesn't get you very far. But you don't need to rest on that anymore. Now, thanks to Babbel, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. And so if you're traveling abroad, if you're working abroad, if you're on holiday, if you have family that speak a different language or, or friends that you want to connect with better, then why not check out Babbel because they teach in bite-sized language lessons and you'll actually be able to use what they teach you in the real world. Now, I chose French uh, to learn through Babbel and that has come in very handy being here at the Tour de France Fam, booking into hotels, uh, just having a basic conversation with people. People always want to come up and, and ask us a bit about what we're doing on the race and and the key riders. And it gives us all of that basis to have a, a, a bit of a, a conversation with people here out on the road. What I found particularly handy being here working uh, is that Babbel have 15-minute lessons and those are designed to be the most efficient and effective way to learn a new language. It certainly means that it's a lot more manageable than other lessons that you can uh, get out there and their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective across multiple studies. Uh, So with Babbel you can choose from 14 different languages including Spanish, French, Italian and German. Perfect if you're a cycling journalist uh, course, And they have a speech recognition technology on Babbel which helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent because that's pretty key when it comes to conversing with people in another language. Luckily for you, right now Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription with promo code CYCLING. Go to babbel.com slash play and use the promo code cycling for an extra six months free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com forward slash play with the promo code cycling. Babbel, language learning that works.
3: Off we are on the way to Provence uh, for the stage two of the Tour Femme. Um, and well, you know, the men at Carcassonne, uh, we've had quite a few uh, stages of the Tour Homme. I think we should call it the Tour Homme, now that we have the Tour Femme, uh, in Carcassonne lately. And everybody knows Carcassonne is famous for its old town, its old fortified town, re- really kind of medieval, an example of medieval architecture uh, in southern France. And nobody talks about Provence, but Provence is, is a kind of lesser known Carcassonne. And it's, it's almost as beautiful. It's also... A, a World Heritage uh, Site, um, you know, as decided by UNESCO. But it's, it's for some strange reason because it's quite close to Paris, far less unknown than Carcassonne. But as you'll see, you know, when you're in Provence, uh, you, you've got very spectacular fortifications and. UNESCO, when they they listed the the Provins fortifications, uh, you know, this is what they said. Uh, Located in the Île-de-France region in the Seine-et-Marne department, the historic fortified town of Provins is an exceptional and authentic example of a medieval fair town in the Champagne region, which was an important trading center and saw the beginning of major international trade in Europe with the rise of fairs in the 11th century. So, I mean, there you are, you know, Provence, uh, the first finished town outside of Paris, of the Tour Femme. Really lots to see, you know, those great fortifications and really a town time, a, a time to discover. That's really, really interesting for those who like, um, you know, medieval architecture and, and Provence. Yeah, and once again, you know, uh, uh, a Carcassonne close to Paris. So, you know, really a place to discover. It is also... The birthplace, if we talk about cycling, Provence is also the birthplace of David Moncoutier, who, uh, French climber, who was twice the, uh, uh KOM winner in the Vuelta and won, um, won two stages of the Tour de France, uh, in his day. And he's now a consultant for, um, Eurosport uh, in France. And, uh, Provence was also the start of, of the fourth stage of the 2021. Tour de l'Avenir, uh, which you know, which was course really inspired in a way in a way the the uh, course of the the, the parcours of the, of this tour femme, and um, so the stage starting in Provence went to Bar-le-Duc, and Ethan Vernon won that stage. Uh, Finish uh, well. We started that stage. The, st- the the stage, the second stage started in Meaux. Mo is a, quite a posh little town, just outside of the, you know, very close to Paris as well. Uh, it, it has a, a cycling, a women's cycling history. It's the uh, birthplace of Magalie Le Floc. She was uh, road French champions in in two thousand and two and two thousand and five. She won. She won the the French World Cup uh, three times, and she was a professional. Uh, from 2001 to 2008. And other uh, riders in the same area who, who rode for, for the team Vienne Futuroscope between 2006 and 2008, Marina Jonat and Sonia Bazir, also, also came from Mo. So, obviously, kind of a stronghold of women's cycling. And Mo is also a Babel, and this is what you know, is going to interest, be of interest for Lionel, obviously. Uh, Mo is a place where one of the most f- famous French cheeses, Brie de Meaux uh, is made. So Brie is, is actually not my favorite French cheese, is it? But it, it was considered in the beginning of the 18th century of the king of cheeses. I mean, in all the diplomatic banquets uh, you know every country was trying to uh, to um, you know advert- advertise their own cheese and there was a, a banquet in 1915 when actually uh, the french and the germans were, were kind of competing to see whether the bleu the bavière the blue of bavaria or the brie de meaux was the best cheese and the brie de meaux was was unanimously considered as the best um, cheese it looks a lot like like uh, Camembert, in a way, with a the white crust and uh, kind of golden, creamy flesh, and uh, well, it's one of the most famous French cheeses. And uh, personally, I'm, I'm not into, you know, cow's cheese uh, anymore. But uh, if you actually, if you put it in the, in the oven, if you cook it a little, cook it a little bit, uh, and and add honey on top of it, mm, that's gorgeous. Well, this is all for today, Rose. Uh, well, let's talk tomorrow about stage three.
5: Well, thank you to Francois Tomaseau for his, Francois's uh, French flavour, giving us a little bit of a a sense of where we are in the context. And uh, Rook, well, are you enjoying Provence, the uh,
6: medieval town? I am. I I haven't seen too much of it yet, but it looks uh, incredible. We're in like a walled city, Um, lots of cobblestones, lots of old buildings. Um, Yeah, I hope to see more of it before we head out tomorrow.
5: Yeah, it's, it's really lovely. It's a very, we're on a very nice spot. I mean, despite the fact that we're next to a road uh, and our Aperol Spritzes are yet to arrive, we're still in a lovely spot. But um, the, uh, one of the things that is so notable about this area is that the roads are very narrow, very windy. I mean, some of the ones in town are just, you know, the width of a car and no more than that. And uh, we kind of saw the effects of that, didn't we, today? Because there was a, an awful lot of crashes out on the
9: road.
6: Yeah, I think uh, the roads aside, the winds played an interesting factor to uh, to the peloton as well, and, and the crashes, especially in the, the last half of the race, were, uh, I mean, just one after the other. It was it was kind of surprising. I think the whole peloton was surprised by how many people ended up hitting the deck. Yeah.
5: And uh, what is it like, Lizzie? I mean, being in a in a race, because it was kind of almost like a domino effect, wasn't it, of of uh, crashes? You know, when something is a little bit sketchy, does it become more sketchy as it goes?
7: Yeah, I mean it's a classic thing that you so often see in in the first stages of the men's Tour de France. You know, back last year in in the you know when they, the men were in Brittany, it's so common. It's very stressful. Everybody wants to be at the front, and having that wind has that extra stress because you know that if there is a split, then if you're at the back, you know you're just gone. You've got no chance of getting back. And then once there's been a one crash, then you get nervous. So then everybody wants to get to the front, but the the road only you know there's only space for three riders then well you can't get to the front so everybody's fighting but you can't get there and then there's more stress and then there are more crashes and it just it just you know like you say it's a domino effect and you know when the organizers were planning this route they would have been very much hoping for crosswinds to bring the drama obviously not for the for the crashes but small roads crosswinds bring drama and that's exactly what we saw today and unfortunately we saw some you know some some pretty horrific crashes and uh you know that has obviously led to marta cavalli abandoning and we hope she's going to be okay but um, there was drama there definitely was drama and that was provided by the wind
5: yeah um and you mentioned marta cavalli uh, there of fdj but, I mean, it wasn't just Marta Cavalli who had a, a bad day on, on that team. I mean, they had a, a number of riders involved in a number of incidences, uh, didn't they? I mean, a bad day all round for them.
6: It really was. Just seeing one after the other go down and, and basically seeing them um, crash themselves out of contention for the GC was, was really sad to see. I think we all uh, wanted to see, see that team perform on the last two stages, and uh, today was, was a very unfortunate for them.
5: And what is interesting is also they, you know, they, they've come here with a team, probably one of the strongest teams on paper. They have Marta Cavalli, they have uh, Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig, they have Evita Musique. Um And uh, yet yeah, that you know, Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig was involved in the uh, incident. They sent uh, some riders back to, to, to help with her. Uh, Marta Cavalli was in one. Uh, that, and I, I'm presuming that they thought that her, uh, that, you know, she would be so far behind that it wasn't worth, Sending riders uh, back for that. What did you make of that team dynamic, Lizzie?
7: Well, there's a few interesting things there, actually. I think that the the Marta Cavalli crash, in my opinion, she shouldn't have been allowed back on the bike. It was very clear from the images that she'd hit her head very badly. When she was back on the bike, um, she appeared very, very dazed. Uh, then it transpired at the end of the stage that her helmet was split to pieces and she was going for a scan and so in the light of you know a lot of terrible accidents and especially in the light of amy peters's tragic accident i just wish that people would take things more seriously and you know do the checks before you get back on the bike but you know looking to the rest of the fdj team um cecilia trip ludwig lost one minute 38 grace brown lost 3 22 evita music was actually okay she was in the she was in the peloton group behind the escapees but then on the final corner with 1k to go she slid out and then she was uh, she's down at 105 now so it really it really was a terrible day all four of their GC options have lost significant amounts of time and also probably significant amounts of skin as well which is if not more important because you know that takes so much healing and and as we saw in the Giro sometimes losing time isn't actually as bad as you think it might be because you can go in the break and you have other opportunities and you can actually make up time but um yeah the fact that the whole team is injured now is uh, is not great and we hope that you know, as, as the days go by, I'm sure this story is about what actually happened will come out and uh, hopefully we'll get to speak to some of the team tomorrow and actually find out how they are.
5: Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you say that, Lizzie, FTJ actually at the finish refused to speak to uh, any of the press. They said uh, at the very finish line that they would say something back at the bus. And then you get to the bus and lo and behold, they said, no, no one's speaking, which, which is, I mean... I mean, it's a real shame for to, to be at a race which they want a lot of the media attention for. It's the Tour de France fam. It's been built up so much. And then you get a, a, a team, a French team, uh, indeed, that uh, will refuse to say anything because they're a bit down on their luck. Um, another team that also really struggled was uh, Team Bike Exchange. Uh, they had uh, There was a, a crash with Amanda Spratt that took her out. There was also a crash with uh, Kristen uh, Faulkner. Uh I mean, Rook, where do you see Kristen Faulkner's uh, GC now?
6: Yeah, I mean, and and to add to that, it was also Urske Sigurd in that same team. So anyone that had a chance going uphill um, was involved in in one uh, crash or another. And, um, you know, that's that's not just from a... uh, on paper, but, like, from a morale point of view that really, really hurts a team. And, uh, yeah, I mean anything can happen in the mountains and you know how time gaps become very small or very very big in the mountains and so you know i i I don't want to put her down quite yet but um yeah they're gonna have a lot of work to do
5: i mean kristen faulkner has really i mean she's come into the sport she's new to the sport isn't she uh and i mean she has such a huge talent
6: and it felt like this was her year that she was gonna break through no absolutely i mean just seeing her climb uh in any, like, the Giro, any recent uh, performances. like And she can climb extremely well, but she also descends okay, which is not something that happens often in in climbers. And I think today's stage in general, it it almost just, you know, opened up the way for Annemiek even more. Like, most of her biggest contenders are currently struggling with with an injury.
7: Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. I mean, um, you know, you were talking about Amanda Spratt and the reports are that she's got some, you know, rib pain and she's gone off to the hospital to see if she's got cracked ribs and we hope not and Paulina Royakas who actually we forgot to mention in the preview rows because there were so many people to talk about. She lost 2.51 today. Anne Santesteban, another climber on the bike exchange team, lost 6.25 along with Joss Loudon of Uno X. But, you know, those who were in that front chase group of the peloton behind um, the escapees with Mariana Voss and Elisa Longaborghini and Nivio Doma, well, we've got Garcia who of course was right Right up there in the Giro until she exploded near the end. Vollering, Juliette Labou, Mormon, Veronica Ewers, who I think has a great outside chance if she can stick with them on these earlier stages. If she can stay there, then once we get to stage seven and eight, she's got a great chance. Annemiek van Vluten, of course, and Liana Lippert. So you have got... You have got a good number of people there on that same time. And I actually think, you know, if the people that have lost time today, if they haven't lost too much skin and their injuries are okay for them to carry on and not be too hampered, I think it could create a really exciting race because we've got five, six, seven riders who've got nothing to lose and are going to go on the attack. But If a lot of these riders go on the attack and they get up the road, that can be really, really dangerous. And who's going to chase? SD Works don't usually chase. Does Annemiek van Vleuten have a strong enough team? So it could be really, really interesting and actually could create a very exciting race, despite the fact that the GC has kind of been blown open on day two.
5: Well, yeah, let's hear now from uh, Kristen Faulkner, who lost uh, skin and time uh, today. Here's what she had to say. Uh, so, tell, I mean, tell us what happened, I can see you're bandaged up, you obviously lost a lot of skin, uh, your wrist is bandaged up, tell us what happened out there.
9: Yeah, I was caught behind a crash, unfortunately, uh, right before the crosswind section, and um, yeah, there was a crash right in front of me, and then some bikes fell on top of me, and I was sandwiched between a few bikes, so a girl was on top of me and I couldn't really get out, um, and then when I did get out, we went straight into the crosswinds, and there were a lot of splits ahead of us. people chasing and it was really hard to chase back Um, and then off the front there had been um, an attack by six girls and so Movistar was chasing really hard in the peloton so with all the teams chasing as hard as they could and then us being kind of a small group caught in the really strong crosswinds it was just really hard to chase back and then while we were chasing um, one of the girls in my group came right into me and, and knocked me over a second time so I got banged up a second time and then at that point I was just alone chasing back um, with my teammate to the finish line so yeah really unlucky day um, unfortunately we lost time on GC and, um, and lost some skin as well um, so we'll kind of regroup and reevaluate what we want to do for the next few days. Do you have a sense of, I mean there was a, a huge number of crashes out there, do you have a sense of what it was about,
5: was it the route, was it the way it was being raced that, that caused all those crashes?
9: Yeah, I think the crosswinds made it so that everyone was really fighting for position and people were taking a lot of risks to make sure that they were at the front. I also think the narrow roads meant that um, people really had to fight hard because if you weren't in the crosswind, then you were in a narrow road. Um, The towns had a lot of road furniture and and just narrow roads, and so at any given point during the race, people were fighting for position. And when that's the case, then... um, people just take a lot more risks than normal and sometimes people aren't exactly with their teams and so um, you don't have the respect of team trains that you might if it was a really wide road giving lead outs and things like that. What was the team talk this morning? What were you expecting uh, from this stage? We knew it would be a lot of crosswinds and we knew it would be no roads um, but um, you know, crashes are part of bike racing um, but sometimes... Yeah... Um, you can't always predict which days are going to be the most dangerous so you know We thought yesterday might be dangerous just because of all the jitters going into the tour um, And it actually was relatively safe yesterday. Um, I think we knew people would be really fighting for positions We knew it would be a bit of a, a bit hectic on the narrow roads as well and, and going into the crosswind sections, but um, You know, I think today was the first day where teams really thought that maybe they could get time on GC because of the crosswinds and because of that, people just race really aggressively. Did Team Bike Exchange, did, did you guys think that you were going to go for a GC as well today? Uh, we just wanted to keep the GC riders safe, you know, we thought it would come down to a sprint likely, um, so we wanted to make sure that everyone was in the front in case splits did happen in the crosswinds, and we wanted to make sure that our sprinters were there for the sprint. So we weren't trying to create time for the GC and create a gap, but we just wanted to make sure that if gaps happened, we were there in the front and that we were able to also go for the stage one and for yourself losing time on GC today does this change how you approach the rest of the race it very well could Um, I think we have to look at how far down we are where some of the other GC contenders what the future stages look like how everyone's feeling and and just um, take a lot of other factors into consideration which requires us really sitting down and, and talking and thinking about some of the other things so we'll see does that still mean that you're going for GC or, or is it changing tactics like going for stage wins instead? Uh, we don't know. and We won't know until we sit and talk about it tonight.
0: Science in Sport is supporting the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Femme. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
5: Thank you very much to our long-term sponsors, Science in Sport. Uh, Now, they're keeping us uh, on the ground here. And their support means that we can give daily coverage to the Tour de France fam, as well as all of the men's grand tours and, of course, our regular coverage uh, if you want to take advantage of a great offer to get 25% off all your sports nutrition needs, then head to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25. Well, it was a bit of a surprising day for the GC, wasn't it? I don't think anyone was imagining that uh, what on paper was going to be a bunch, brin, blah, 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 oh, Lorena Weavers has one again, blah, blah, blah. It uh, didn't turn out like that, did it? There's, there were some big uh, winners, probably more losers uh, than winners. But, y- you know, for you, Rook, who was kind of the biggest loser of the day? Apart from Marta Cavalli, who obviously,
6: yeah, I mean, is 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 out entirely. I mean, for me, FDJ as a team was the biggest loser. Um, I mean, they struggled the hardest out there. And, uh, yeah, they they were probably the team um, to give movie Star the, the most uh, competition. And so for me, the team is the biggest loser.
5: Yeah, and you say uh, Movistar there because you're obviously... Uh, it's not really Movistar, is it? It's, <laughs> it's the one and only Annemiek van Vluten who is basically a powerhouse in her own right. But she, she lost a bit of time today, didn't she?
6: She did, yeah. She, she lost 30 seconds and, and was pretty bummed out about that. But I think um, Annemiek being Annemiek, 30 seconds is nothing for the moment we get into the mountains. So I think she has very little to worry about. And uh, obviously she's losing that time to
5: some people on paper who would be up there uh, with... Some of the, the, the biggest uh, GC contenders, Elisa Longo-Borghini, Kasia uh, Doma, uh, they all made up time on, on Anamique. Um Lizzie, how did, uh, how did you see it? I mean, is this going to be a, a real problem for Van Vleuten to lose this time at the beginning?
7: No, I don't think so. I mean, if it had been lo- losing time to Vollering, Garcia or Cavalli, of course, then uh, it would have been more concerning for her. And it definitely would have been a more stressful position. But I think she's lost time to rivals that really, if she thinks about it, she's she don't she doesn't really see as, you know, really big threats for the climbing stages. The problem is, I guess, that Trek has quite a strong team. Um, and so, well, actually, so does Canyon Shram. And so if they can do something to kind of tactically put Anamiek van Vluten under pressure and you know Kashi Nivedoma is an absolutely daring descender so I don't think she can climb as well as Anamiek van Vluten can but she can descend much much better she's just she's just terrifying to try and follow on a descent Kashi Nivedoma so as we saw in the Giro again Anamiek was put under pressure on those descents and I expect riders to try and capitalize on that and I think that's when she will will get scared and probably try and go on the offensive in order to prevent being put under pressure.
5: Uh, and you mentioned Lizzie about the strength of the Trek-Segafredo team, and they, of course, uh, actually had two riders in that break. They had Elisa Balsamo uh, and Elisa Longo Borghini, uh, but only managed to come away with uh, with fourth there. Lizzie, would you would you say that was a bit of a, a bit of a, a failure of tactics?
7: I mean, uh, yeah, Elisa longo was, uh, you know, she very highly praised the work of Elisa Balsamo. And I think that Balsamo did do a great job, but it would have been better if she could have taken Longoborghini a little bit further towards the line. Um, when you look at that group, I think it's not surprising that longo came fourth. Um, Nivio doma has got a great kick. Sylvia Persico is, she's just on the cusp of something great. You know, she's had, she's had uh, two small wins already at two small Italian 1.2 races and she's had, you know, so many top 10s. She was third at the World Cyclocross Championships this year, of course. Um, and she, she hasn't had that really, really big breakthrough result yet, but she's, she's about to, she's really about to and she's got such a good kick on her. So I think looking at those, and well, of course, the indomitable Mariana Voss. So I think looking at the people that were going to that finish, I, I think that you couldn't really have expected better than fourth from Elisa Borghini there.
6: I just wanted to add that, when it comes, you know, we just spoke to losers, but when it comes to winners, Mariano Vols' side, I think Trek was, like, as a team, we're the biggest winners today. Um, not only for staying out of the crashes, but just the, the force that they are and how many riders they have to, to play with for the stages coming up. I agree, yeah, I thinking- but I
7: should just mention that uh, Ellen van Dyke did actually come down in a crash and is. Uh, I think she's, she's quite bandaged, but she's okay from, from what I can hear.
5: Yeah, we uh, so I caught up with Elisa Longo Borghini of uh, Trek-Segafredo at the finish, Uh, and she was, you know, for someone who you've said is one of the winners of the the day, uh, Rook, she was in a a bit of a a slightly downbeat mood. Uh, Elisa, so that was not a uh, bunch sprint that people were expecting. Were, Were you guys expecting it to be that?
2: Yeah, we we saw beforehand that, that there was this sprint, and then it was kind of tricky after uh, after the sprint, and uh, there was a cross section. So we told to go um, to go as a team, and uh, Lisa was just uh, just great. And I think uh, I, n- I really need to thank all my teammates today because they were great all the all the stage long. They did an amazing job. They were going really really good, and uh, yeah, I mean. Elisa is just a great champion. I have no words to describe that uh, that lady. She, who knows what she has in the legs. And how did that break form? Where right at the end. Yeah. So after the sprint, Elisa went pretty straight, and then um, Marianne saw the saw the attack. And um, first we were with three, and I, then I saw Nevadoma and. Uh, um, the Wahoo, Le Col, uh, the white jersey, and um, Persico, and uh, therefore, then it was just uh, for gas. So, were you following wheels, or you, did you know it was going to?
5: Uh, did you think it was going to stay away, the breakaway?
2: Uh, yeah, we had to. We have to try, and uh, yeah, if you try, you never, If you don't try, you never know. So
5: that was Elisa Longo uh, Borghini, who made up a bit of time on on some of her rivals in terms of of GC. Um, But Nivia Doma, it was nice to see uh, her at the front. Um, She, I don't know, you know, how much of a stage racer she is. Obviously, she's won the uh, women's tour before, but that was kind of a, that was one stage which she kind of gained a lot of time on um, before maybe everyone kind of uh, knew about her. What do you think is of her prospects, Rook, uh,
6: in this race? She's, a, she's always a bit of an underdog. Like, you can't rule her out. Uh, she hasn't got anything, like, incredible that made you pick her as, a, as an outright favourite, but she's definitely, for me, always on the list. If she has a really good day, like she did in the women's tour that you mentioned, she can take it, but it does take a very good day. You know, I would say that
7: I think she's a contender for the podium, but I wouldn't put her as a contender for the win, unless something you know crazy were to happen and this is the tour de france so i guess don't rule anything out but i think she's she's always there or thereabouts but she doesn't usually provide that kind of final knockout punch um so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised to to see her sneak onto third on the podium but i i think it would be very unlikely to see her take the overall
5: yeah she doesn't really have that kind of caliber in the high mountains and uh yeah, exactly. and as we know, we're, kind of, we're, we're building up to that on the final two stages, uh, a lot of high mountains. Um, so, you know, it, uh, I guess the approach is working out for her in the fact that she did make up some time coming third as well, get some bonus seconds there. Um, so let's uh, hear from Kasia Nivedoma, who uh, who was very upbeat. It's like the opposite of Elisa Longo-Borghini. She's like uh, very upbeat about uh, her performance today and, uh, you know, getting a, a third for the team. That's kind of... Um, Canyon Sram's prerogative to be happy with a third, uh, unfortunately, but um,
4: let's hear from Kasia now.
3: Everybody is really happy at Canyon Sram after this stage. Um, yeah. Tell me what happened there.
4: Um, I think that first of all, we were prepared for the stage. We had done recon a couple of days ago, so we had knew we had known what to expect. And basically we just wanted to stay safe throughout the stage, not to lose any time. If we would gain, that would be amazing. So maybe that's why we're very happy right now because we completed our first plan, which was just to like gain some time um, on other competitors. So yeah, that was sweet. I was really happy to have my teammates looking after me, putting me into position where I could find myself feeling safe and secured. And as we could see, there were many crashes, but luckily none of us was involved. And yeah, um, as we entered the final lap, um, the pace was quite hard on the climb as there was a bonus sprint and after that uh, Balsamo actually attacked that I was surprised with and basically we just kind of followed and all of a sudden we saw that we have a little gap so I feel like the group was moving because everyone had some sort of interest in it. Myself, Longo Borghino, uh, sorry Elisa, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Longo Borghino was. Uh, we were going for the GC and of course Marianne. And I thought that Bassamo was going for the stage victory. Yet they were going for the GC time. So yeah, we were just being very nicely all together. And as we could see at the end, we just gained some time. Did you get a sense,
5: Kasha, that other teams were not as prepared as Canyon Sram? They maybe didn't realise quite
4: how the the steepness of the finish? I think that most of the teams, they were expecting sprint stage and maybe not that many reconned actually that stage. So, because everyone was saying, oh, this is like another sprint stage. Um, Luckily, we were prepared enough so we knew what to expect, especially after the finish line with all those small roads. So, yeah, I'm definitely happy that we had a plan. We knew what to do and we completed it. And you said that you followed kind of Elisa Balsamo.
5: What what would, if if she hadn't, because you were surprised that she attacked, what was the plan had that not
4: happened? Um, If that didn't happen, I feel like um, we basically wanted to go for the stage win or just stage results, so perhaps, or some attacks would happen on the final lap or we would just wait for the final K and then launch attacks, although we had a headwind in the last case. So I don't believe that the big damage will be done.
7: Well, I do think the one thing that Kashin has in her favor is that she has an exceptionally strong team and a strong team in the mountains. Um, She's got Paulina Royakas, Elise Shabby, um, Tiffany Cromwell. I just think that she has the team to support her. And if she wants to use them as pawns, send them up in a breakaway so that they're there later in the stage when she comes over, she can do that with that team. Um, and that's that's a huge advantage, having that strength. I mean, we've just we've just seen it with the men with Jumbo Visma, how important it is to have a strong team and, and the games that you can play. So I think that's going to be, it could be hugely advantageous if they choose to, to play the tactical, the tactical game.
5: Yeah, I mean, and if she wants to uh, play the tactical game, then, you know, tomorrow is actually the, the perfect stage for that. Very, very punchy uh, stage uh, in Epinay. What are you expecting there, Rook, from that?
6: I mean, to be honest, I think I'm expecting carnage, not in the way that we saw today, but in the way that it's just going to blow the field apart. So do you think this is going to be another GC day? I, I think so. I think we're going to see some massive shake-ups.
5: Well, there you go.
7: Yeah, I have to say, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, tomorrow there could be minute gaps, you know, not seconds. And again, on stage four, it could be the same. And actually, it's a great finish for Cassia Neviodoma tomorrow. There's a punchy, punchy climb. You know, you, you go through where all the champagne houses are in Epinay and you turn right up this steep kicker. It's a great finish for Kashi and Neviodoma, but it's also, unfortunately for her, a great finish for Mariana Voss. And I think that. Mariana's team will really want to try and hold this jersey all the way to the mountains and she has a really strong team, you know. Today in the final, Jumbo Visma had four riders behind and Canyon canyon Trum had three, I think. So they were by far the strongest teams and if there are any mechanicals, if anything goes wrong, those teammates will be there immediately to help Mariana out, to give her a bike, whatever she needs to pace her back. So that is really where where both Neviodoma and Voss have uh, a huge advantage.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's got Anna Henderson and Rihanna Marcus in a wheelhouse, two riders who may not like always be you know, in, in everyone's uh, top favourites list, but they're always there to, to help Mariana out. And Anna Henderson, in her own right, is quite the powerful rider. And I think those hills that we're seeing tomorrow won't scare her one bit.
5: Yeah, well, there you go. All the drama that we're adding for tomorrow. So you have to... Tune back in uh, tomorrow. I should, uh, a little bit of housekeeping uh, from me. Uh, Stacy Snyder's, um, well, very special Tour de France Femme uh, cups uh, went on sale today and sold out in seven minutes. So I don't have to give a plug for buying those because, well, they've already gone. You're too late. Um, but I will mention that Stacy will be creating a Peddler's De Charme uh, mug for the end of the week to be presented to the rider with the most charming peddling um so we want to hear your suggestions at home so if you can uh put into put into twitter how old am i if you can tweet uh, the cycling <laughs> podcast um or follow or you know mention to us on instagram oh my god i'm getting older um then uh, let us know your suggestions for any little i don't know i guess it's acts of good sportswomanship or uh, anything that has particularly taken your fancy for which rider should be uh, awarded the peddlers to charm at the end of the week um and we're going to put a little uh, poll together and uh, put it out to you and, and choose uh who should win that but uh well thank you uh very much for joining me uh ladies thank you lizzie thank you rose uh and thank you rook have you enjoyed your time on the cycling podcast very much so thank you uh, and uh, we've only, we've still got plenty of apérol spritz to be uh, drunk here, so we better get on with that. Um, so good night.